Welcome to New Mercies, a podcast by Mercy Ships, where we'll take you behind the scenes and onboard our incredible hospital ships that are transforming lives all over the world. We invite you to join us each week as we sit down with our crew, patients, volunteers, and partners to hear their stories of life-changing hope and healing. Today, Kelly Denning is sharing about the healing and hope that Mercy Ships offers our patients. With some of the physical difficulties our patients have endured, sometimes there are mental and emotional hardships as well. Our mission is not just to take care of the physical healing, but to also restore hope. Here is a holiday highlight with Nurse Kelly Denning. So Kelly, you have been a nurse on the Africa Mercy for three field services. And you've seen many things, and you've had the privilege of sharing many beautiful moments with patients. So start us off with telling us a little bit about your time with patients on board and the special gifts that you've given them. I think one of the most important gifts that we can give anyone is to see them and to connect with them and see them as as people. And I think so many of our patients become people of the shadows they've got disfigurements or conditions that isolates them from society Mm. even their families but one patient that really comes to mind as as far as a gift that I was privileged to give was that gift of connection and that gift of seeing her and that the gift of touch so her name is Rugi and she's I think 47 years old she's from Guinea she lived in upcountry in Guinea she came to us towards the end of the field service in our women's health program. So Rugi was married as a, a really young teenager, I think 13 or 14 years of age, and she fell pregnant pretty early on into her marriage. And when she went into labor, her baby became stuck. And so she labored for days and days, and she ended up having a fistula. So a fistula is essentially a whole in something that shouldn't be there. So um, for a lot of women that have birthing injuries, that would be the baby essentially just gets stuck and will make holes through anything to get out out of the body. So for Rugi, that meant that she delivered a baby that had passed away, that never breathed outside. She was left with gaping holes in her body where there weren't supposed to be holes. So she had a bladder that just constantly leaked. She had no control over it. And so she was, you know, she was a baby, she's a teenager. And as a baby, she she lost her baby. And uh, her husband at the time, she was disgraceful to him. So she was leaking. Um, and because she was leaking urine, she was smelly. Um, she wasn't able to produce a child for him. Um, there was a lot of shame associated around those things. Um, so essentially, he said to her, go out to the bush. Nobody wants you. You smell. Um, you're offensive. I don't want you to be my wife anymore. I don't want you to, I don't want to be around you. So Rugi went back to her family in the village and they said, no, your husband's right. We don't want you around and you do smell and we don't want you around us anymore. Um, So Rugi went into the bush and she lived in the bush for 30 years. Yeah, she was alone for 30 years, leaking urine. Her days looked like she just would try and, and get whatever kind of food that she could to survive. And she told me she used to sell, you know, whatever she could find, she'd try and sell it at the markets. And But every night she would wash her clothes out and she would hang them, you know, over a tree or something to try and dry them out overnight. And she'd sleep naked on the ground uh, in the bush alone. 
because she, you know she wanted to have dry clothes for the morning only to put them on again and they'd be wet again so she really was a true outcast of society she lived alone in the bush for 30 years and I learned very quickly how desperately she hungered for human connection so when I met her all she ever wanted to do was hold my hand and she'd she'd push her face up against my face and she just loved being held she loved being hugged she loved being looked at you know to be able to look in the eyes of this beautiful you know she was a young woman she is a young woman but has really um, suffered so just epically and you know, she looks a lot older than she actually is. And to be able to give her that gift of actually seeing her and sitting with her and looking in her eyes and holding her hand and reminding her that she is so precious and she is not forgotten. Um, She is not forsaken. She is adored. That was an immense privilege to be, just to play a tiny part in God's, you know, reminder to her that she is a precious, precious woman. So when she first came on board, she was very, very withdrawn, very, you know, scared. She hasn't been treated well by people for a very long time. And so she was very quiet when she came on board. And then throughout her time there, she just opened up and she just became a completely new person. This was well and truly before she knew what the outcome of her surgery would be, because you don't find out instantly they'll have surgery. Uh, We keep a catheter in there to just let their, their bladder rest for a significant amount of time. And so she was there for a long time. She just opened up and she just was just this crazy, joyful woman. She was rejoicing and dancing and singing. And you would have thought she had had this miraculous overnight transformation physically Mm -hmm. because spiritually and emotionally and mentally and socially, she was a completely different person. Wow. You know, sometimes it's easier to focus on the physical brokenness that needs to be healed because it's what we can see. But the emotional and mental brokenness needs healing as well. That's why we say we offer hope as well as healing to hurting people. And sometimes that hope offered can actually be more important than the surgery. So Kelly, what does it mean to you that Mercy Ships doesn't just offer surgery, but they offer hope as well? And tell us how you've seen that hope be given to patients on board. I like that you talked about it not being so much more than the physical and it truly is. It's, I think, what we do as far as surgery goes and physical healing is just such a small, small part of of what we do. Dr. Gary Parker talks a lot about uh, the table of humanity um, and being able to have a seat at the table of humanity. And when somebody has a terrible disfigurement, when they have a massive facial tumor, when they have leg deformities, when they have fistulas or things that make them outcasts, things that make them people of the shadow, they lose their place at the table of humanity. They're no longer seen. I mean, and don't get me wrong that, you know, some people are cared for well by their communities. Um, That's true as well. But a lot of people are outcast. And so Dr. Gary Parker talks about, you know, in restoring, particularly giving someone the dignity of having a face, we assume a lot by what somebody looks like. Particularly, you know, we do a lot of a lot of surgery on people with face deformities, with facial burns, with facial tumors. And as much as we'd like to say we see what's on the inside first, we don't. We we see people from the outside and we see their face and but what does it look like when you no longer have the face that you th- were born with or the face that you recognized as? To me, it, it's almost like they're kind of locked inside this jail because the, the person that they're portraying to the outside world is, is no longer 
who they really are. So what does it look like if you don't have a face anymore? And being able to restore somebody's face by either doing a huge amount of plastic surgery and rotating skin around, giving them a lip, giving them an eyelid, you know, it gives them a place back at the table of humanity. They're allowed to have a voice. They're allowed to be seen. They don't have to sit in the hut. They don't have to hide under a tree. They don't have to hide in the bush like Rugi did. You're giving them a place back at the table and having a place back at the table of humanity, that in itself is, is offering so much more than the physical. That is hope. Them and that you have the hope of of a future, the hope of being part of a community, the hope of having your own children, having your own family, and you see it well and truly before our patients have surgery. We we meet them often at the Hope Center weeks before they have surgery, or even when they're having screening down in the tents. That we have a screening tent that's normally down in the dock. And we go down and we'll see the patients there and and you can see that they're already starting to change because they're surrounded by people who have similar conditions to them and they realize, oh, I'm not alone in this. Mm. I, I haven't done something wrong. I didn't touch a voodoo stick. I'm not cursed. I'm not forgotten. I'm not forsaken. Mm. It's not something I did that led me to have a cleft palate or a cleft lip or bowed legs. I'm seen by people and I'm part of a community and that in itself starts to breed hope. I just think that's really, really special because we all know that the bodies we have, even if they're quote unquote normal or healthy, they're not going to last and they're going to change over time. But if we can be given hope that we're valued and that we're important and that we're special and we belong, that is something that can't be taken from us. Mm -hmm. And it's really special. Yeah, well, I mean, if all we did was transform the physical, that'd be a bit of a waste of time, kind of, Hmm. because 100% of us are going to die. That's just a fact. (laughs) Um, I mean, you look through the Bible, all of the the miracles, you know, Lazarus, he died again. All the people that Jesus healed, they died again. But it's what happened in, in the healing, and it's the hope that they were given in the healing, the hope of a new life, the hope of a resurrected life. The hope of, oh, I am loved and chosen. Everybody we heal, they'll become ill again. All of us eventually will become sick and die. But being able to live with hope, the hope that there is so much more than this, you know, that's where we see the transformations. We see the transformations in people's um, outlook on life. We see whether or not we're giving back the the gift of, of sight to a blind child Um, or to a blind grandfather and because that grandfather is blind his you know grandchildren they don't get to go to school because they have to look after their grandfather Um, and the the impact of that is is multi-generational but in restoring the sight to a grandfather he now a has independence and he can go and he can sell things at the market if he wants to but his children can also go to school the impacts are so much more than just the one. Um, while we do see the one and focus on the one, which is so important, because if you're not seeing the one, what's the point? Um, but it also becomes just this ripple effect that goes right throughout their community because we live in community. And if we can help one person within the community, then the, the impacts are, are far beyond what we can even imagine. We hope you've been encouraged by the episodes over the holidays. Come back next week as we kick off season three of New Mercies with all new interviews.